Welcome to the Cotton Specialist Corner Podcast. I'm Steve Brown, Extension Agronomist at Auburn University. And with me today are Ben Thrash, University of Arkansas, Tyson Raper, University of Tennessee, and Scott Graham, my fellow entomologist here at Auburn University. And today our topic is revisiting Thribone with a particular focus on plant bugs. So in general, let me launch this and say, as obviously a non-entomologist, it seems that at least in the lower southeast, we may have greater plant bug pressure than we've seen ever. In fact, our colleague, Dr. Ron Smith, who's maybe this is 52nd crop or thereabouts, he says he's never seen them this bad. So, Scott, why don't you start off and just talk about the general pressure and populations that we're seeing and the locations where we're seeing, and then we'll move to Tennessee and then to Arkansas. And y'all talk about your level of plant bug incidents in the field this year. I can speak for Alabama and a little bit the panhandle of Florida and then conversations with Philip Roberts in Georgia, too. And this is as widespread. I think, you know, Ron has said he's seen it in pockets here and there, right, with what we're dealing with. But widespread from all of Alabama, the infestations that we're getting are as bad as they've been. I was in a field in the panhandle yesterday that was about to get its third plant bug spray, and it's not quite blooming yet. So that is not something we're used to dealing with. I know there are some pockets in the Delta that that's maybe not super uncommon, but in general, even for most of the Delta, we're not talking about three adult plant bug sprays before you even get to bloom. That one field I was in already had third instar immatures in it, so they've been in there a long time. If you consider the X stages seven to 10 days and then another seven to 10 days to get to the third instar. I mean, they've been in there a while. So very unique and the Thrive on Cotton is not immune to it. We'll talk about that more later. I'll let Ben kind of tell us what's going on in the Mid-South. It seems to be widespread for us right now, particularly in our older cotton, our early planted cotton. You know, our plant bugs weren't too bad up until about this past week or so. And it seems like they've started getting really heavy, especially in South Arkansas. I've heard some people up in Northeast that have had pretty heavy plant bug numbers. So they're really starting to get going. I think a lot of what's happening is some of this corn's starting to go brown silk. And I think a lot of these plant bugs are probably starting to move out of some of that corn into the cotton. So, you know, I was over checking my plants at Mariana yesterday, and I had a pretty substantial number of adults in some of my plants. Some of my conventional cotton, I had upwards of like nine adults on 25 sweeps. You know, they're getting pretty heavy in some places, it seems like. Tyson, how about in Tennessee? Our pressure has been worse than normal, and it started early. Maybe not at the same level that what Scott's mentioning down south, but we definitely triggered sprays earlier than we would normally trigger. And it looks like we're going to have, you know, some challenges moving into flower retentions starting to slide in some acres. Part of that's expected for us with acres declining. We probably took a 30% hit. A lot of these plant bugs are less dispersed than they maybe once were yet even last year. So they're consolidated a little bit. And I think that's part of the reason I'm seeing a little bit worse pressure. But it's interesting with the environment. I mean, it got really cold in December, brutally cold in December. And then we had another, you know, late freeze this spring. 
I was hoping maybe that would make it a little bit easier of a bug year, but apparently not. Now, talk in terms of basic biology before we really talk about Thrive On. What is your host plant resource for plant bugs as they would move into cotton? So, Scott, why don't you start off and then we'll move to Tennessee and then to the Delta or Arkansas. Well, so for us, you know, the early populations are starting out, I think, a lot of it in these cover crops, clovers and you know, the radish, those types of things. But our dominant feeder into our cotton is the daisy flea bane. And I mean, you can find a patch the size of a pickup truck and collect a thousand of them if you want to in just a couple of, you know, 20 minutes. It's really impressive how much they build in there. And I think as we've shifted to more and more cover crops, we're kind of building our pre-flea bane populations a little bit higher. And then they move into that flea bane. And the rains that we've been catching the last month or so has enabled the flea bane to stay out there a little bit longer, which is why we're seeing this kind of trickle effect. These adults keep migrating in week after week because we've staggered generations there. If we get to a dry year, flea bane all plays out within about a week or so of each other. We get one real big movement. We knock them out and we're kind of through the adult plant bug window. But this year has not been like that. Help me with my description of daisy flea bane, but it's a moderate aster species, maybe grows knee high, maybe a little larger, got a tiny white flower, usually in clump waste areas, roadsides, that sort of thing. Anything you would add to that description of daisy flea bane? I'll say if you Google it, for some reason, it makes it not look like it does. I mean, the flower is not much bigger than a plant bug, yeah, adult plant bug is. And About the size of a dime, maybe? Not even that big. And so sometimes you get confused on what it actually looks like. And there's a lot of Queen Anne's lace and that kind of stuff out there, too. But the flea bane is definitely our number one feeder. Tyson, in Tennessee, what is your reservoir of plant bugs? Steve, I'm not going to be able to answer that as eloquently as probably Ben can. I'm going to hand the question to him. Okay. I'm along with Scott. You know, we have a lot of daisy flea bane, you know, earlier in the year. But I tell you right now, you can go out to any little pigweed patch that you find, and you can find a ton of plant bugs out there in some of those weeds right now. We'll also find them in some like horseweed patches and stuff. So that's a pretty good reservoir. You know, earlier in the year, like Scott was saying, you can find a ton of plant bugs and like clover and stuff. So, you know, those are some pretty big reservoirs. Also, sometimes you can go out to the silk and corn and it'll be loaded. You know, a couple years ago when we had the really, really heavy plant bug pressure, I could go out to a single corn plant and find, you know, like seven nymphs on some of this stuff. So, you know, plant bugs have over like 200 different host species. And it might be several hundred more than that. 585. Would corn be a regular host or just a secondary host, maybe? I think it's kind of a secondary host on it, but we sure do get a bunch along those edges of those cornfields, as everybody knows. A lot of guys, you know, I was talking to some people earlier this week, and they were talking about sweeping up a bunch of plant bugs and soybeans, you know. So they can feed on a lot of things, but... A lot of these weeds, like pigweeds and stuff, when we want to go try to get a collection, that's where we go because they seem to really, really like it. Okay. Just a preliminary statement on Thrive On. Of course, we have thought moving into it, you've convinced us that it has very good thrips activity. Was that proven true in your environment in 2023, Scott? Yes, it's held up for us this year. And what I've seen both in grower fields and in my research plots. 
it's looked as expected. How about in the Mid-South? Exact same. It's been outstanding for us. It's been very difficult to get that level of control with chemical sprays. And we have been relatively disappointed. You know, acetate for us is pretty well gone. We've got some replacements, but man, it's been very, very difficult to keep a non-thrive on from looking like thrips have been feeding on it. Ben? Yeah, our thrive-ons performed really, really well. I've had thrips so bad out here this year. I'm down here at my plants at Tiller right now that they killed a lot of my untreated plants. And the thrive-on, I mean, it looks like, you know, it hardly got touched. You get a little bit of wrinkling on some leaves in this extremely high thrips pressure, but, you know, it's nothing close to what I would even consider spraying. And I think a lot of what some guys might have been seeing this year was some sandblasting on plants that kind of gets confused for thrips injury because remember you're still going to have thrips on thrive on cotton it's a whole lot less than what you find on conventional cotton but they just don't feed on it like they do on regular cotton so you know herbicide injury and sandblasting can be confused for some of that thrips injury and i think we ran into a little bit of that this year well, if we look back historically at the BT technologies that delivered us worm control, we kill worms, you know, they disappeared. They maybe laid eggs and then disappeared. What you mentioned on thrips, that they can survive, but again, don't cause plant injury. And it does seem like in plant bugs, we're not talking about a worm-like control that was been delivered by Bogart and the associated technology. So let's talk about that. You know, we look at some technologies in the past that have killed the pest. But we're looking at something very different, especially when we talk about plant bugs and thrive on. So Scott, address that. And then Ben, why don't you tackle that question as well? A lot of what we're seeing with thrive on, particularly, I think, with these adults is just a non-preference. We were kind of discussing before we started recording here. With these adults, we see less impact probably than we do with the nymphs just because they've got to get in there and feed on a couple of squares before they decide they don't like it, right? So they're still in there. I mean, we've had some calls and stuff in Alabama about a 500-acre block of Thrive-On and a 500-acre block of non-Thrive-On with the turn row between them. And if you go out and do sweeps, you can't tell which is which. And, you know, the farms are like, what's going on here? I thought this was a plant bug trait. And I said, well, if it's going to save you a spray, it's probably going to be in July, not in June, which is where we'd want it to be because the July spray is more costly than the June spray is in most cases. A big part of it is they've still got to be in there and taste it, if you will, before they decide they don't like it. So what would you add to that, Ben? I'd agree with what Scott was saying. Like he said, they got to taste it to realize that they don't like it. Now, I was sampling some of my large block Thrive-On plots yesterday where I have strips of Thrive-On and non-Thrive-On cotton. I was running you know, nine, ten plant bugs on 25 sweeps and some of that conventional cotton. Whereas in the thrust bond, I was running about five or so on 25 sweeps. And I also had about half as many squares missing on it as well. And so it's working. It's definitely an improvement over to the conventional cotton. But as Scott said, it's not bulletproof. You're still going to have to treat. The thrive on seems to be a little more susceptible to the adult plant bugs than nymphs. So that's kind of something to consider on that, too, is that it's just not as good on the adults. As the nymphs, you're still going to have to spray a little bit, but it's going to definitely save you some sprays in the end. Let's sort of set the boundaries here. Being in your environment, what is your typical number of sprays that would be used to address plant bugs in most years? 
in most years, we're running about, you know, five, six plant bug applications per year in Arkansas. And it seems like in most of my plots, I've been able to get away with about two applications on a bunch of the Thrive On. So, you know, a pretty significant savings. And it seems like, you know, they're typically earlier in the years where really I have to spray them. And I would say, you know, really pay attention to that square attention. If you're right at threshold on Thrive On, you know, you got really good square attention, which happens a lot. I mean, I got over 95% square attention. I've got right at a threshold level of plant bugs. If that's the field I'm going to get back around to here in about three days or so, I might let that population ride and come back and see exactly what's going to happen to it. You know, it's going to take guys, you know, a couple of years to get comfortable with this technology for sure. Tyson, what would you say in Tennessee would be your normal program to address plant bugs? And I'm talking pre-thrive on actually. It's going to be three to four sprays. We might get a spray in pre-bloom. Most of our sprays are going to be post-bloom. Not quite the pressure you'd see, I think, in Arkansas or most of Mississippi, but, you know, considerably more than what you'd see from some of the Carolinas. And we go to the other end of the spectrum, and Scott, speak of Alabama as a whole within the lower southeast broadly. Describe our typical programs to spray or not spray plant bugs. If you look at the state of Alabama as a whole, we're probably two and a half, and that half spray is a spray for plant bugs and stink bugs, right? So we're typically one June spray, one spray around first bloom, and then about the third week of bloom, we're cleaning up whatever plant bugs are left from starting to hit stink bugs. North Alabama would probably be closer to three to four with maybe one fewer stink bug spray. However, in the last two years, that's changed. We're now statewide. We're probably getting closer to three or four on average. Georgia, you got some pockets where they're spraying three or four times. You got some big areas where they're not spraying or maybe spraying once, right? North Carolina, I know they're starting to get into them more. They're starting to spray more. I won't throw out a number for them. You asked about the whole Southeast. But I would say in Alabama, we're typically two and a half that are for plant bugs. And I would add, even in some of the lower Southeast, maybe, and I could talk for Georgia in the past, they almost considered it a tertiary pest. It was one that may have gotten maybe a quarter of a spray on the whole per year, but it seems in the past couple of years or so, and certainly this year, their pressure has ramped up considerably. Would you agree with that? That's what I've been hearing, yeah. Okay, as you approach Thrive On in the field, and Ben alluded to this a few moments ago, but do you scout it differently than you might scout non-thrive-on cotton? For Alabama, we're not scouting it any different than we do for non-thrive-on cotton. Ben? Yeah, I mean, we scout it the exact same way. The only thing that may be a little different is I think you really need to pay attention to these square attentions, maybe more so than you have done in the past. Because a lot of times you could go out there and you go, okay, I'm at threshold level of plant bugs. If my square attention is 95%, for example, in conventional cotton, plant bugs can strip it pretty quick. In Thrive On, in any of the stuff that I've seen, it just seems to not occur that quick. And you got a little more time to react. Tyson, do you want to add anything to that? I'll say I've visited with Steve about this at length. And my understanding is the Mid-South Continent entomologists have had several, several discussions about this. And it's just the same as everything else at the moment. But to Ben's point, an opportunity there to really take advantage of looking at square retention to help guide those decisions. I've got a question, if I can throw it out there, because I'm starting to get it. 
I really like Diamond. And I've been using Diamond quite a bit. It seems to me, and Scott and Ben, y'all can probably explain this better than I, but it seems like with Thrive On, we almost have an inherent Diamond spray in the plant. We're not seeing those immatures build like you normally would. We still have to treat migrating adults that are coming in, but I'm not really worried about the immatures as much. Is there a place for Diamond in that Thrive On management when we talk about plant loads? I'll let Ben go first for the Mid-South perspective. I think there's still a place for it, especially in areas that you got really high pressure. You know, we had some plots last year where we were comparing high and low input systems. And part of that program was with and without diamond. And we did get improved yields on the Thrive On where we used our better products, Transform and Diamond compared to just, you know, acetate alone. And so it does seem like you're still getting some benefit out of using things like Diamond. Now, that's one year of research with that particular project. And we'll be continuing that research this year. Actually, we've got some plants out here that we haven't treated yet, but we're going to do a little bit more research on that in the future. And yeah, I agree. I think we still have a fit for Diamond. In fact, maybe the secret here, and this is there's no research behind this, but maybe what we'll find is we can get away from adding the knockdown with Diamond and Thrive On. You know, right now we're tank mixing a Diamond and something else. Maybe in Thrive On, we can get away with that and just run the diamond. But I still think it's important. Ron and I were talking this morning. I was talking with somebody in South Alabama that sprayed acetate and diamond last week, and he's already having to spray again this week. And the idea behind diamond is it's kind of suppression more than just true control, right? And so, you know, it's kind of frustrating to have to go behind it that quick. But if you didn't have it out there, how many bugs would have been in the field? You almost need a diamond mentality with Thrive On. This isn't just controlling everything. It's just helping keep populations suppressed. And for us in the Southeast, you know, if we would have had a week, if we can stretch that out to two weeks, a lot of time we're going across for stink bugs anyway. So that can really help us out there and trying to widen that spray. And I think getting diamond on top of it will really help us there. God, you mentioned stink bugs. Let me pose this question for you as we get in to the latter part of July, say around the 20th to 25th of July, in our area, our radar are very sensitive to stink bug pressure then. And so you kind of merge and overlap stink bug management with plant bug management. How should a farmer address that and then proceed in dealing with those pests as they are together? So you're saying, should we still worry about killing plant bugs when we're spraying stink bugs? When we know stink bugs get in our environment, and we are still concerned about plant bugs as well. How do we rethink or adjust our management program? I don't think we really do much. I think what we've been doing will still work. If we want to kill stink bugs, we got three options, bifenthrin, and acephate, or bodger, and that's all we got. Well, we know in some places bifenthrin doesn't work anymore, and we've collected some information this year that that's probably widening in Alabama. So that really just leaves acephate or bodrin, which both are still very good on plant bugs for us and very good on stink bugs too. So I would say that first stink bug spray is probably better to be organophosphate than it is a pyrethroid because we're trying to get plant bugs and stink bugs still for sure. But Ben, would y'all think about them any differently? I know stink bugs maybe are not as dominant a player in your environment, but when you get into the latter part of July and into August, are you worried about stink bugs and then do they overlap, the two pests overlap for you? They do occasionally overlap. 
but we spray for plant bugs so often and usually during that time of year we're running bidron and acetate so typically they're not a problem you know i kind of told the story last year where i didn't spray any ops and some of my thrive on trials and those plots where i didn't spray any organophosphates ended up getting stink bugs in them and i ended up having to spray and so just taking that organophosphate out of the system opened ourselves up for stink bugs in those particular plots. And we may see that on a wider scale if we take those products, you know, out of the system. You do have some products that are plant bug focused that don't address stink bugs. Just talk about those so a farmer doesn't think, hey, I'm spraying this plant bug material and I'm going to get stink bugs too. But what are those that get plant bugs but don't get stink bugs? Comment on that, Ben, if you would. Yeah, Transform and Diamond don't do very good on stink bugs at all. So, you know, if you do have stink bugs out there, you're going to need to run something, as Scott was mentioning, bidron, bifenthrin, or acetate, uh, really to get any stink bugs under control. Tyson, any overlap of stink bugs and plant bugs in your environment? Our environment is very similar to Ben's. We occasionally see the pest, but it's not going to be something we treat consistently. And it's going to be a problem for us at the very end of the season. Most of the time, we're running acetate in that window. And so we're cleaning it up. May I even know that we're cleaning it up? Okay, big picture question here. I know Scott's been looking at plant bugs and Thrive On for a number of years, and I suspect Ben has as well. A lot of research has gone in. If there was one research question that you could answer and get the answer in terms of Thrive On and plant bug management, is there anyone that stands out for you? It's a great question, Steve. Don't always expect an agronomist to come up with something like that. (laughs) (laughs) One thing I think, and it's hard to do, but would it be possible to only consider large nymphs when we're making treatment decisions? Because part of what we see in Thrive On is the populations are overall lower in the number of bugs out there, but they also develop slower. You know, if it normally takes 20 days to go from a nymph to an adult, it may be, and I'm just saying this, but maybe it's 27 days or something like that. And the longer they're in those smaller instars, those younger stages, the less damage they're doing. So can we, instead of counting those little bitty ones that you got to have a, you know, 2020 to see on a drop cloth, could we not worry about those? And only when we see the larger ones, count those for our treatment decisions. I kind of think we could. Now, how realistic is that to try to scout fields that intensely? I don't know. Probably not very. But that's one thing that I've been thinking about for a long time now. I just don't know how practical it could be at the end of the day. Ben? I was going to say some of our data from last year, you know, it showed a reduction in the number of large nymphs. So the number of small nymphs that actually made it to large nymphs in the Thrive On was fewer than in our conventional cotton. But as far as questions, you know, go, I want to know what our threshold is going to be. And we're doing a lot of work on it. We're all collaborating together. See Brown over in Tennessee, he's got the test where we're trying to figure out the threshold on the Thrive on Cotton. Scott got the test. Dominic Rizig over at North Carolina has it. I've got a couple locations of it. I think Whitney Crow and Tyler Tolls over at Mississippi State have it and Chase Floyd. So we're all kind of together trying to work on figure out what the threshold is going to be, if we're going to need to change a threshold on Thrive On. So that's kind of my biggest question I've got, and that's something that we're all trying to figure out. I said, if there'd be a magic question that you could have answered, what would it be? 
It's the threshold for sure. We got heartburn over expense of this. We're going to continue to see an increase in adoption. I'm confident in Tennessee based on what we've had up to this point. We understand the value in thrips, but maybe our current threshold does maximize our return on this technology. But it'd be really nice. It's been, Scott both said, it seems like there's a little bit of opportunity to refine it, a little bit to take advantage of what we're seeing. Up to this point, if you're spraying on thresholds as they are, we would be spraying the same amount in Tennessee, both thrive on and non thrive on. And maybe to Scott's point that he made earlier, you know, maybe we should just expect that benefit later in the season. Obviously see that, but it seems like the bench point, maybe we can stretch that window and allow them to stay there for a little bit longer. That needs to be captured. I don't know what that threshold is going to look like, but that's the question I might have answered to. All right. Let me follow up that question or your statement with, you said we expect to see increased adoption. Is that going to be driven by the thrips component of this or just by the whole package? How would you respond to that? I think that's a great question. Thrips are a terrible pest for us in West Tennessee. I think that's going to drive adoption. I do think we've had growers realize the benefits of the trait in plant bugs as well. There may be some hardware around that right now, just on the start that we've had, but I think we're going to adopt based on thrips control with a bonus of plant bugs. God, how would you respond to that question? Yeah, I agree. I think adoption will continue to go up. And part of that, if we're being honest, is there'll be a lack of other options too at a certain point, and that'll play a role. But people are really happy with the thrift control. You know, that frees you up to do so much other stuff you need to do on the farm when you're not having to worry about going across to spray thrips. And we've got some unique places down in what we started calling the rain belt in South Alabama, where it rains every day. And those people are going to see benefits out of Thrive On on plant bugs and just a little bit of protection while they can't get in the field. When it literally rains a half an inch or whatever every single day, no matter what you spray, it's not going to sit there for very long. You're going to kill something for three or four hours and it washes off. In these places where we can't be timely for whatever reason, that's another kind of a hidden benefit of Thrive On that's hard to prove to somebody. But I think that's going to drive adoption in some places as well. Ben, any comments on that? Yeah, I think the thrips issue this year, you know, our thrips started out pretty light. And then, boy, they really came on this year. And guys were having to spray multiple times for thrips because, you know, the products that we have that work really good, like Intrepid Edge, it works good, but it's got a really short residual. So you can get reinfested really quick. And then we've got the widespread resistance to acetate and vidrin and tobacco thrips. And so guys are going to be looking for other options. There's some other products on the horizon that may give us some relief. But, you know, that Thrive On may be adopted pretty rapidly because guys are tired of dealing with thrips and having to spend a pretty substantial amount of money trying to get them under control. Yeah, I might have a little, con not terribly contrary view, but I think they're going to really have to be proving themselves in the final analysis at the gen to really move the market in our area. I think they're going to have to be in the best yielding products to really encourage and finalize that adoption. So we'll see. We'll all be smarter in a couple of years or so. So other questions or issues y'all would like to talk about? I kind of agree with you, Steve. I mean, once they probably put this technology into some higher yielding varieties, I think guys are going to adopt it pretty quick. Well, thanks for joining us for this session of the Cotton Specialist Corner Podcast. 
We really appreciate Cotton Incorporated and their sponsorship and promotion of our effort. And I do appreciate the time and the insights of my colleagues, Ben Thrasher from Arkansas, Tyson Raper from University of Tennessee, and Scott Graham from Auburn University. So thanks very much, guys. Uh